Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, maybe you're watching online for the first time or you're in here with us, we're so glad that you're with us. We always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know, when you go to the, a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope is that you'd come back and we could be your spiritual family. If you are watching online, I want to tell a few things to you that would help us. Uh, would you do me a favor and like, comment, and share? It helps us get through some of the social media algorithms and actually gets the word of Jesus out to the masses. And then if you're in here, do me a favor, take out your phone and uh, check in on Facebook or maybe one of your favorite social media places. Just let somebody know, hey, you're at church and uh, we're starting a brand new series today uh, that I think we're all going to love, and it's called The Shocking Statements of Jesus. The Shocking Statements of Jesus. I've noticed, you know, I grew up in church, but you didn't have to grow up in church to have a caricature, is what I call a caricature of who Jesus was. And I've noticed this. This is the truth about just being a pastor and watching how people are are with other people and how they're connected with other people is that you the way you see Jesus, if you don't know the really the true how Jesus was, it affects how you think Jesus is right now. And if you, you think that way, it actually affects how you treat other people. So I promise you, like the personhood of Jesus and having an accurate view of him is incredibly important for you and I in this day and age. I did a, a like a simple Google search of like just Jesus, just did like a Google search of Jesus, what he looked like and what kind of popped up. I picked like the three top ones that kind of came out uh, that I wanted to show you guys because they're kind of funny to me a little bit. It's kind of like our version and our caricature of Jesus. First one is this. This is like I've seen the most of the Jesus pictures I see had Jesus had a lamb. I'm like, was a lamb like his favorite pet? Like, is that just what he, you know, they had him always with? And I get, you know, Jesus was called the lamb of God. But I think like, you know, we kind of took the shepherd thing literally here and he walked around always seemed like he had uh you know a lamb with him so uh second one i found was uh this one i thought this one was interesting he's still holding like a little lamb or maybe a sheep and but he's got a rod in his hand now this is the jesus i grew up with because i always felt like jesus was nice until he wasn't until you did something wrong and he had a stick that he's going to whoop you with when you did something wrong. So like to me, that's a rod. You know, that's not necessarily a shepherd's staff in my opinion. But OK, so that's just kind of how I see God. Last one, uh, last maybe version of Jesus. This is the most interesting version of Jesus yet again holding a lamb, but this is the most good-looking version of Jesus I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, that's Brad Pitt. That guy's got a six-pack under his his dress he be wearing, you know? And I'm like, this guy is crazy. He should be on one of those, like, 1982 romance novels, you know what I'm talking about, that mom always had reading. And uh, I'm like, that's an interesting version of Jesus. But if you don't have, here's the whole point, if you don't have a good, proper, accurate view of Jesus... It affects how you live today. And so what I'm going to talk to you today about is I'm going to give you maybe an insight. Pull back the veil of who Jesus was. Yes, he was amazing. And yes, he did miracles. And yes, he was incredible. He was Jesus walking around on this earth doing amazing things. But he said some pretty controversial things. I told someone the other day, I said, you know what Jesus was? If you had to summarize what he really was, he was a troublemaker in his time. He caused some issues. He stirred up stuff. And if you read the whole Bible, you'll see that. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter number six or, or put it on on your phones, maybe push John chapter number six. If not, we'll be up on the screens here in just a minute, but uh, let's pray before we get started. Father, I just thank you, God, that today you have a message for us. You have a word from God. I know that I'm not good enough to preach your word, but I know by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you'll have something to teach us, and I just pray that today we would all learn and listen. Be better for your son, Jesus, inside of our lives. We ask you for that in Jesus' name, and everybody say it. 
Amen. Amen. Um, I, I've, I've, I've done my best whenever I preach messages to teach context to Scripture. So before I, I get into John chapter 6, I want to kind of lay out maybe some of the, um, the, the context of what's going on, like what's happening in this time of Jesus. So if you didn't know, Jesus lived, lived 33 years on this earth. He had a three-year ministry. And at John chapter 6, you can kind of see Jesus is at maybe the height of his popularity, the height of his ministry. He's already done miracles, and he's cured blind eyes, and he's cured sicknesses, and he's done some amazing things that people have seen, and he's done it time and time again. And now he's got a crowd following him. And just what recently the miracle that he did is he just did the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Now that was 5,000 men. What you find out later that the Bible actually tells you that that wasn't including men and uh, or doesn't wasn't including women and children. So maybe scholars believe that it was like 10,000 or 15,000 people. My, he did that with a little kid's lunchbox. And here's what I know about people. As soon as you promise them free food, they come. Come on. Like, you know, the, it's like saying free tacos, free nachos, free burgers. I'm there. Jesus, where are you? I'll be there to help set up the equipment because I know there's going to be some free food. So he does something amazing and he crosses the Sea of Capernaum and goes into a temple and starts teaching. And now people are there asking him not for Jesus, not asking for God, asking for his stuff. He does what what a good God always does is he provides and he highlights this thing for us that we tend, if we're not careful, we tend to come after God's stuff. And he starts to teach and he does something so unique and says, starts saying something that's crazy. Again, the height of his ministry, everybody's around. He's got the most likes. He's got the most followers. Everybody's watching him on YouTube. He is popular. And then he says these crazy words, John chapter 6, verse 53. And Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And that's what it sounded like. People did a double take, you know. They're like, wait, did he do? He didn't just. No, that's not. No, we just ate fish and bread and it was awesome. Like, that's not what he, that's not what he said. And then Jesus does something funny. He doubles down. I said, like a good dad does with like a kid who's not paying attention. Like, look, look, listen, listen. Like, hello, wake up. You know, like pay attention. I'm about to tell you something really, really important. He says, but anyone in verse 54, anyone who eats of my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So he, he goes from it being ethereal third person to now, let me tell you who I'm really talking about. I'm talking about me. And he says, you're going to have eternal life if you just you eat some of my flesh and you drink some of my blood. And I will raise that person in the last day. And verse 55 says, for the flesh, he does it a third time. It's like, Jesus, stop, you know. Like, could you imagine being on the front row of the church? You're the usher, and you've been ushering people in, and there's no room for people, and you're excited, and it's church is growing, and things are going awesome, and the pastor's up there talking about cannibalism, and you're like, what's going on? And he, t- he, d- he triples down, and he says, for my flesh is true blood, and my blood is true drink. And you and I read this symbolically because you and I know he was referencing communion, what we just did today at church, and he, but, but at that time... They read it literally because he had not been to the Last Supper and explained what communion was. And he had not had the Friday moment in the garden and then the the moment when he gets crucified. And then he, he had not had the excitement of his resurrection. And he had not had the moment where the church had even started and started to remember him. you got to remember at that time, none of that had happened. So it was like me getting up here and saying, everybody make a line. We'll start right here. I will... 
conveniently start cutting pieces of my skin off. And as you walk by, I will give them to you. You will eat my flesh. And by the way, I went to the doctor. I got plenty of vials for everybody to drink. Go ahead. It's okay. And when you do that, you're not only going to be a part of the church, you're going to be a part of eternal life. Congratulations. You and I would think that would be a cult. You'd be like, this is weird. That's not what I signed up for. Where are the miracles, Jesus? Because many people were freaked out. And then the Bible says in verse 60, the first people to pipe up are his disciples. I think of it like, like, um, like the PR guys. for G- Jesus needs PR guys at this point. Because, you know, you don't, what you don't do is when you're super popular, do something dumb or say something dumb to lose all your popularity. And so in that moment, the disciples say something that you and I would say that we've probably said to Jesus on our own time. And he says this in verse, they say this in verse 60. He says, on hearing it, many of the disciples say, this is hard teaching. Well, yeah, that's an understatement. That makes sense. You and I would say that. And they say this funny, they, who, they ask, who can accept it? The, the word accept there in the, in the Greek was, was a coup. It meant like the, the idea of you saying something to, to like, um, to, to, you're hearing God's voice to birth faith, which means they were, well, they were telling to Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, wait, wait you're, this is too hard on them. You've crossed a line. And now that you've crossed the line, you're saying things to them. This is how is what you're saying going to make them have faith in you and have faith in us. You're running them off. They need a he needs a PR guy, right? It's like, okay. Like if I was with Jesus at that time, I kind of imagined myself where I would have walked up and been like, okay, hey, look. Um can you go back to that miracle stuff? That attracted everyone. Like, go make a, go feed us again. I'm hungry, you're hungry, everybody's hungry. If you feed them and you give them what they want, come on, then they'll come back again. And then Jesus answers, um, um, because everybody's starting to feel restless. Now there was quiet and people are looking at each other going, are you okay with this? Because I'm not okay with this. And I didn't know we were signing up for this. And they're wondering what's going on. In verse 61, I'm just having a Bible study with y'all, if that's okay. I'm just kind of like walking through how I read the Bible. And he goes, aware of this, he goes, where that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? So remember what our rule is about reading the Bible when God asks a question. If Jesus or God ever asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's God. Okay. It, it doesn't make any sense for God to ask a question unless he's asking the question for you to ask the question to yourself. And he's saying, does this offend you? Have I finally said something and done something to where now you're questioning and now you're doubting? Come on, hello, hasn't anybody ever been there? If the longer you walk with God, the more opportunities you're going to have to question him, just so you know. The more you read the Bible, the more you're going to get into it and go, that doesn't make sense with the theology that I grew up with, with my uncle and my grandpapa and my Grammy told me about what was happening and what it meant to live God. Because like, you, you always remember this as a kid. You remember like what your grandmama always told you about Jesus? Like if you just follow God, your life's going to be amazing. That's something a grandma would tell her grandparent, a grandkid. But then you got like in a real relationship with God, and guess what happened? Everything what didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. Your grandkids were crazy. Your, your daughter married a dude that you were like, what? 
You're, you got into a job where the boss was like, don't listen to you. You drove on streets and you're in the freeway and people just be cutting you off. And you realize you're like, don't you know I'm a child of God? Hello? And things just didn't work out. And, and, and you start to question all of these things. And what's funny about Jesus is that the world didn't make you question What's confusing about this verse is that Jesus makes you question him. Put that into your theology mind and bounce it around. It makes no sense. Because we're used to something else telling us to doubt God, right? That's what the world should do. That's what Satan does. That's what everybody else does. It's my friends who don't know God does. We're watching movies because, you know, it's all. But like, Jesus, now you, now you're causing me to question. And verse 66 is one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of scripture. It says, and then from that time, many, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. And you see this heartbreaking situation where the crowd leaves. In an instant. You gotta think about that. So he had he had all the likes, all the followers, and then he was banned like overnight, right? <laughs> like just done, you're done, you're done. Because you, you said something that you did you crossed the line, Jesus. And for us when we read the crowd leaving, you know, the crowd, you know. It meant two things. Well, the crowd back then, when you had a crowd, especially because of Jesus, because remember I told you he was a troublemaker, and the, the trouble he caused most for were the people in power and the people who were religious. And so he caused trouble for them, and so they were wanting to get him. They were always trying to devise ways to take Jesus out, and the crowd provided protection because it was kind of like, if you're going to come to him, you're going to come through me kind of a thing, right? And so when you no longer had that protection of people who were standing between him and the crowd and, and the Pharisees or the Roman guards or the or the you know the the, the people in power, you 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 no longer had that protection. There was no now, and here's what's funny: when you're following Jesus and you're the closest to him, not only did Jesus not have any protection, all of the people who really loved him didn't have any protection. So what do you do? When Jesus runs off the very protection that you and I have with him, and now standing with Jesus is dangerous. The second thing it, it, it provided the crowd was provision. If you ever read stories with Jesus, you tra travel from town to town. You know who oftentimes were the people he actually stayed the night with or got food from were the people he was ministering to. You know, he'd stay in their homes and they'd feed him lunch or feed him dinner. He got to sleep one night. He was in not just protection. He found provision. So you, you now find themselves because, again, when you're a follower of Jesus, whatever Jesus go, happens to Jesus tends to happen to you. Hello? That's why you can't be a Christian and not not settle in your heart the idea of some type of struggle and suffer. Because if Jesus suffered for you, you're going to suffer for him in some way. It's just the way it goes. I, I know it's against our, like, happy-go-lucky theology. Like, just follow Jesus. It goes against Grandpa always telling you, if you just become a Christian, everything's going to be all going to be going to be all right. And so now to stand with Jesus, you lost your protection. And now to stand with Jesus, you lost your provision. And we get to the whole point of the story. And Jesus knows their heart. And they're starting to question. And they're starting to grumble. And he hears it. And he knows it. And Jesus finishes his statement. He says, he says in verse 67, Do, are you going to leave too? Now that it's too hard. And now you don't have protection. And now you don't have provision. Now it's not cool anymore. 
Now it's not the greatest thing in the world to get up on the platform and say, after you won your Grammy, I want to give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because now Christian comes with its own connotation. Now Christian means you got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He crossed the line. Now Christian means you're crossing the line. And Jesus inevitably asks us the same question he asked the disciples. You going to leave too? Now that you're not cool, now that you're not loved by everyone, now that everyone left, and it's super vulnerable, and they know who's with Jesus, and they don't know who's with Jesus. Come on. Come on. Like, when you're in the crowd, you've noticed when you walk and stand into a crowd, you can't really see you, but when it's just you and 12 others, they know who's with Jesus. And he looks at them, and he says, they left. Are you going to go too? Now that Christianity isn't what you thought it was. Now that the church has asked too much. Now that the pastor said something you know he didn't mean. Came out wrong. Which I'm going to do. Because I'm crazy. Now that I've seemed to ask too much. The other uh, couple years back. I, uh, I'm an avid avid professional high level shopper anybody else in here with me come on somebody speak the truth and shame the devil come on if you're with me you're with me make some noise come on yeah that's right we all go i'm like waiting for the sales you know what i'm saying they know who i am they email me on a regular basis i'm special i'm in every rewards program i'm on every sign up sheet and every email newsletter blast i love it one of my favorite times of year, the Super Bowl for me is Black Friday shopping. I love it because everything's on sale. And I always feel like when I walk into a store, it's me against the man. I don't know who the man is, but I'm trying to take apart their system of taking money from me. I'm trying to tilt the scale of value in my favor. Can I get an amen? So I, the other day, back when you could stand around people and you didn't have no mask and you walk into stores like a human being, I was standing in line in the middle of the night, mid, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, waiting for Target to open up. It's not Target, hello. Target to open up. I'm standing in the line. I'm stretching at this point because I can hear the rustling of all of the employees getting ready to start the store and opening up the doors and they're starting to hand out maps and I laughed at them. I was like, <laughs> you think I don't know where everything is in this store? I know the map better than you do. Keep it moving. And so I'm stretching on the, in the line now. I'm getting my workout ready to go because when I move, I don't want to, you know, pull a hammy. And so I'm getting ready to go and people are looking at me and I don't care because I'm about to get myself a deal. So I, they open the door and I run in. Yes, I'm one of those people. Well, I was. Maybe I'm getting better, honey. Maybe I'm getting, I'm becoming a better, more redemptive. We're all on a journey. That's what you say as a Christian, right? When you do something wrong. Sorry, we're all on a journey. That's like our... <laughs> It's like when people say, can I just say, like when people say, hey, no offense, and then they offend you, like that doesn't make it go away. <laughs> Pastors, they say that to me, I'm like, Pastor, not, no offense, but you, you're terrible at speaking. Like, oh, well, thank you. I, that didn't offend me. Thank you. Because you said, anyway, it's just, sorry, it came out of my soul. I need to pray. God help me. So I'm in the store, grab a cart, and I'm going for a TV. Now, did I need a TV? plenty of TVs, but you know, it's a deal. I don't want to go get the deal. I'm going for the TV and my eye catches the bins. You know what I'm saying? There's the bins that 
uh, they're just, I think it's stuff they just want to get rid of, but they know people are so amped up and it's at such a cheap price that they're just going to throw it in their basket. They're right. So I saw a basket or a bin of scarves. I lived in California, y'all. We don't need no scarves out there. But I saw a scarf and it was for a dollar. And I have a theory. I have a thought. I have an idea. I have a strategy. If anything's a dollar, you buy it. That's what I do. So when I'm in the store, if it's a dollar, if it's a dollar that little thing at the front of Target where all of the stuff's a dollar, my wife doesn't even let me walk through it. She says, close your eyes, Aaron, as you walk first 10 steps into the thing because I want to go get all of it. It's just it's trash. It's junk, but I want it. So it's a dollar. I look and I reach for the last scarf that's in the bin and I see another grandmama that is walking towards the bin to get that scarf and I'm not saying this is holy or you should do it but I kind of bumped her with the car just bump just kind of bumped her with the car to make her sidestep a little bit so that when the car created space I grabbed the scarf and I had it in my hand I think it was a pink scarf I would never wear the scarf but it was a dollar and if it's a dollar you buy it and I got to the TV's And wouldn't you know it, TVs were gone. And I remember thinking, this is a store, right? (laughs) Stores sell products. To me, the consumer, I'm here to do my job. Why didn't you do your job? I'm here to get your stuff. You're here to give me your stuff. And, and it made me frustrated, right? Have you ever gone to the store recently and you went to the store and the, the shelves were bare? Come on, Texas. And there was, and I was frustrated because I felt like when I walked into, my relationship with the store is built on rights. That I have paid you for a service and then therefore you should give me that said, that said service. And so when you don't have what I want, when I show up to the store and then you don't have what I want, when I show up to the store and you don't give me what I want, when I show up to the church and you don't give me what, sorry, the store and you don't give me what I want, then I get frustrated because this was supposed to be all about me. Jesus, it's the idea of consumerism. Let me read you the definition. It said the idea that increasing consumption of goods and services purchased in the market is always a desirable goal. There's not enough that I need to keep going. It's always the desirable goal. And that a person's well-being and happiness depends fundamentally on obtaining more. Now, what's funny is that there was fundamentalism or sorry, consumerism inside of the church and inside of the crowd that, that, that Jesus saw. And there was a reason why he thinned the crowd. And there was a reason why he didn't explain what he had talked about. And there was a reason, because he saw the demon of consumerism in the crowd then, because it's a demon that's inside of the church now. It's wanting God's stuff instead of God. I came to the church desiring rights. That music isn't what I wanted it to be. I'm out. That message wasn't what I thought it was going to say. You're supposed to tell me that everything's going to be good, Pastor. What about the part where you're, I'm blessed and highly favored? You are blessed and highly favored. Yes, there's grace and truth. And, and, and when we come to a church where, 
And we, we wrap it in such good Christian language. We sound so holy. We say stuff like, well, pastor, listen, we're leaving because I just don't feel like I'm getting fed here. And I'm always like, I'm like, the only people who ask, say, feed me are babies. And so when you, you, you're, what, what you're saying to me is that you didn't eat all week long? You must be mad. Really religious people tend to be really mad. It's because they don't really eat during the week and they expect the priest to come in and do something for them that they themselves should have done for themselves. They should have been eating at the banquet and the buffet of Jesus their whole week. And yet when they come in, they are starving, looking for nutrition when you should have ate all week long so that so that when you walk in here, you're not here to eat. You're here to give. To be the church, not come have church. The demon of consumerism runs us all away because you find out that you need to know the answer to the question. Maybe the most fundamental question. What do you do? Okay, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? On What do you do when Jesus crosses the line? What do you do when Jesus crosses your line? And he says something shocking. Verse 68, Simon goes on to say and answer the question, what do you do? He says, Lord, maybe one of the most beautiful scriptures, to whom shall we go? You hold the words of eternal life. Everybody say this when they say, to whom shall we go? Say it again. Say, to whom shall we go? You and I are in our lifetime might need to one day just look up to heaven and say, to whom shall we go? Peter gives us two things to do uh, the way of the disciple, because the way of the crowd was I'm going to hear what Jesus says. Then I'm going to question it. Then I'm going to become offended and then I'm going to leave. That's what the crowd does. But the way of the disciple is a little different. And the only way I can come to this conclusion to say, to whom shall I go is number one is I need to ask wise questions. That when I'm faced with the shocking statement of Jesus, when he's asked too much of me or I'm in a tough moment, the worst thing you can do is rely on your feelings. And that when you ask wise questions, you get wise answers. If you ask good questions, you get good answers. If you ask bad questions, you get bad answers. If you ask no questions, you get no answers. Wise questions always tend to lead you to wise answers. And if you're able to ask wise, solid, good questions, you can actually get to where you're trying to get to. And I've noticed that when we get into our situation and in our moment and in our struggle and when Jesus offends us, we tend to ask why questions and not what questions. If you tend to ask yourself why questions, they tend to be entitled and they tend to make you feel woe is me. Because anytime something happens to me. Maybe you're not like me. Maybe this is for another church, but I know when stuff happens to me, I tend to go, why God? Don't you see what's going on? I'm a pastor for your church and you're supposed to protect me. Why are you allowing this to happen? Has anybody ever asked God that question other than me? Anybody else willing to? Okay, awesome. I got a few people who are honest with themselves. God knows your heart. But we ask why questions too much. And I've just noticed the funny thing about God and why questions is he doesn't tend to answer them. God, why is this happening? And he, he never answers. Maybe instead of why questions, the wiser question is the what. God, what are you doing in this season? 
Hey, God, you're sending me some mixed signals here. I don't understand cannibalism. This is weird. Yes, too much. What are you trying to tell us? What are you saying? What are you teaching me in this season? What are you trying to get out of me? What are you evil are you trying to reveal in me? What is happening? What, what, what are you doing in me that is going to produce good things for me later? Come on, that's a wise question. Not why me? Why? Come on, we all said, why me? And we all walk around with the Eeyore spirit. Why didn't I get invited? It's all the same thing. Why didn't I get to go to that thing? Why don't I have enough money? Why don't I have that house? Why don't I? Those answers, those questions are never answered. And you get frustrated and it gets you in a downward spiral into no answers and frustration and hopelessness. Rather than asking why, you can ask what? God, what are you doing in me? What can I learn? I need to change my perspective on what's happening in this situation. What you've asked of me makes no sense. But I'm, I'm, I want to know, what are you doing? It's like uh, uh, most people believe God's commandments in the Bible are restrictive in nature. They're not. Because you'll hear something like, uh, you know, you should honor your father and mother. But you always think of like, but do you know my father and mother? Why do you have me honor my father and mother? No, better, what are you teaching me in honoring my father and mother? Because it's not restrictive in nature. It's protective in nature. My kids come to me the other day. We were in the street playing in the front of our yard. And they're like, hey, I'm, I'm like, there's a kind of a really dangerous street next to us the front street is fine but there's a little more they move it a bit and they like to play in the really dangerous part like every kid in the world and i'm like hey just don't play in that part of the street and they're like dad why it's fun over there and i'm like you know what and because i'm a quality high level dad i'm like you need you need that's what i do back to them you know <laughs> Any other dads do that too? Okay, okay, great. Dad failed, but I just did it. Anyway, and so I'm like, I'm like, son, do you realize if you would, it, better question to me would have been, dad, what are you trying to teach me about that? I'm like, what I'm trying to teach you is that I don't want you to get hit by a car and you disappear from the world. That's what I'd rather you not happen. But to them, they think restrictive. I don't have any fun. Rawr. And we do that to God, and God's saying, what are you talking about? That looks really great from a distance. Sin looks incredible from a distance. Have you noticed that? Like, oh, my gosh, that looks amazing. The closer you get to it, you're like, this is terrible. This is not what I thought. Of. Come on, if we're honest. And so God's trying to protect you and protect me. And he says, you need to ask good questions. The second thing as I wrap up, he says, consider the options. Peter highlights the better way, the godly way to consider the options, to prayerfully evaluate my options with wisdom before I make the decision. I'm going to say it again. Considering the options of godliness is this. I prayerfully evaluate my options with wisdom before I make the decision. The key word here, do you want to know what the key word is? Before. The, my pet peeve in the last three months is how many people have come up to me and said, I made a great, really big decision in my life. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I really don't care what decision you made. I care how you came to that decision. Because if you came to the decision through wisdom, that helps you make a pretty good decision most of the time. And I hear people often nonstop, well, I, you know, I felt like, and I'm like, oh, eh, eh, eh. 
like, because I don't know about you, but anytime I've trusted my feelings and I followed my feelings, it ended up in disaster. No one, no wise person ever says, just do what feels right. There's some things that feel right when I'm driving on 1604. I'm telling you, when I'm in HEB, there's some stuff that feels right. I want to crack open some heads and pour milk over people. I want to throw bread. I'm telling you, like, anybody else want to be honor, honest in here? Okay, good. Because, like, what did, that's the worst way to live. Don't do what feels right. I need to do what is honorable and wise and evaluate before I make the decision because Jesus is going to ask you something. He's going to ask something of you. And when he asks too much, what do you do? I have twin 13-year-olds. Lord Jesus, pray for me. My first boys that were born, I'm done. And when they were born, they were born premature. And, you know, they were in the hospital for two and a half weeks and inside the neonatal intensive care unit. And um, as a parent, you know, I've never had kids. So as a first-time parent, it's a scary situation. You're trying to figure out what's going on. and You don't know how it's going to affect their life. And I get to the point where they should be talking. And I didn't realize they weren't talking. And so my pastor at the time came by and told me, he said, this is why you should have good, wise people in your life that are willing to tell you things that might hurt your feelings. He can highlight things you don't see, you know, and he took a chance and a risk that my, saying something about my children might offend me. He says, and he was so kind, he was so gentle about it. He said, hey, I think that your kids might be a little behind in their communication. They're not, they might not be where they are, but maybe I could be wrong. You, you maybe check them out, maybe get them evaluated. So we did that, wise counsel again. We checked them out, had them checked out. And after the checkout, after the, the specialist sat down with us, she, she said, listen, I see this. Uh, I know this. This is my field of expertise. I've seen this from time to time. I know what happens. Just so you know, your kids are way behind, and they're never going to catch up. They're not going to be in the grade they need to be in. They're not going to be in the class they need to be in. They're not going to speak the way they should. They probably won't get a job the way they should. I'm just telling you, you need to prepare yourself now for the road ahead in life. And, you know, as a parent, come on, how many of y'all know, like, that would be devastating. I mean, it was devastating. We are devastated. And I remember um, thinking, No. And I said, not, not my kids. I, I said, I, I think you're wrong. And she, she's doubled down. She said, bring them tomorrow. We'll put them in a classroom with the kids of their age and where they should be. And you'll be behind one-sided glass. You can see in. They can't see you. And we'll just show you what we're talking about. We'll give you an idea. We'll, we'll, we'll show you a glimpse of their future. And I said, fine, let's do it. I said, I'm going to go. I get what you're saying. God's not going to, you know, I'm starting speaking words of, you know, life over me and my kids. And I'm walking around with the Bible. And I'm like, you don't know I'm a pastor. This wouldn't happen to me. So I get inside that room and I watch them they put our kids in the middle of the room and they didn't talk like they should and they didn't walk like they should and they didn't interact like they should and they didn't say things like they should and they didn't play like they should and they they my all of my fears and worst nightmare was coming to life before me I literally watched it she looked at me and she said see I remember sitting in the car and holding the steering wheel. I don't know if you ever had that moment. I squeezed in the steering wheel. And I looked. I was like, this makes no sense. I said, God, but I'm your, I'm your son, and I work for you. I've given you everything I can. This shouldn't happen to me. 
her God crossed the line. He asked me to trust him with my kids. For me, cross the line. It's too much, God. You ask too much. I trust me with my kids. Couldn't fix it. Couldn't heal them. And he made me question my faith. And I remember this verse, Peter. And he said, to whom shall we go? As focused as I am on my questions, when I consider my options, where am I going to go, God? You hold the words of eternal life. You crossed the line with me, but I don't have anywhere to go. I've seen too much. And so I had to, I had to trust God. And I just wonder what that line is for you. What has God asked of you that is too much? And it's caused you to question and caused you to doubt and caused you to wonder and, and wonder why you're even following this rabbi from Nazareth anyway. That's why we're all here. Single greatest leader in the history of mankind is a rabbi from Nazareth from an ancient world we know nothing about. It's easy to question. But when I don't understand and you go ask too much of me, God, I, I want to say, to whom shall we go? And to this day, my sons are in the class that they need to be in. They talk. See, some for you, talking is normal for your kids. For me, it's a miracle. And they they're exactly where they need to be. And and it happens. When you answer the question in your soul, God, when you ask too much of me, I'm not going anywhere because you hold the words of eternal life. And my prayer for you today is that that would be your response when he asks of you and when he crosses your line. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today, Lord, you have spoken to us and, and we all have our own lines that are internal. We all have our own moments that are internal. We all have our own situations that are internal and that you and I know we have to walk out. And God, as we do that, I pray that you would speak to us in a unique way that causes action from us, that we don't just hear your word, we do your word. Today, you've given us the greatest reason to follow you, and that's because you have the words of eternal life. And I pray that would be burned into our souls. To whom shall we go?